We're in business to save the planet, and we use making clothes to do that. The cure for depression is action. Every one of us has to step up and do what you can according to what your resources are. That was the voice of Patagonia's Yvonne Chouinard and I'm Matt Barr and you're listening to Type 2, a podcast from Looking Sideways in association with Patagonia that explores the intersection between outdoors, action sports and activism. In each show, I'm meeting people who are using their passion and involvement with the cultures we all love to create change. I've been discussing the issues they're involved in, the change they're seeking to create, the difficulties involved and the rewards that follow. Now, my guest for this episode of Type 2 is Hugo Tagholm. Hugo is probably familiar to most listeners of this show as the CEO of Surfers Against Sewage. Uh, he was an early guest on my main Looking Sideways podcast back in the early days. In that episode, we delved pretty deeply into his background, his life and career, and how he helped steer SAS to its current position as one of our most loved and most effective conservation charities. Now, in this episode of Type 2, I wanted to speak to Hugo about a few specific aspects of his role. Firstly, to find out how Surfers Against Sewage have been so successful at linking grassroots action with real change. In the last episode, we heard how Dan and his colleagues at Save Our Rivers have managed it by focusing on individual issues and through that affecting big changes. With SAS, I wanted to understand how Hugo and his colleagues have joined the dots between their huge engaged community and the legislative action they've been able to bring about to create tangible change across many fronts. Now, the word pragmatism comes up yet again in this conversation becoming a bit of a theme that really Um, and above all the lesson here is how to take a message beyond your little niche and get the middle ground to support your cause something that surfers against sewage have obviously excelled at over the years and then there's another reason i wanted to speak to hugo for type 2 which was to get a glimpse of the sheer workload involved if you're somebody in his position Hugo's got a ferocious work ethic and a seemingly effortless ability to deliver comprehensively across multiple fronts. How does he do it? And what can we learn from his approach? We also looked into that. Now, I should point out, this one was recorded in June 2019, which means there are a couple of references to Brexit and the general election, which are a little out of date now, but I hope that doesn't put you off. It's always a pleasure to see Hugo. I always really enjoy our conversations, whether the mic is on or not, and this one is no different. Here's me and Hugo. Enjoy. I'm with Hugo. How's it going, Hugo? Yes, uh, it's it's going really well, Matt. Um, and they're yeah, really pleased to be talking to you here by the banks of the Thames by Parliament today. Uh, an auspicious day for us to be having a conversation on on World Environment Day. Yeah. Day when the planet is in sharp focus for the public, hopefully. We kind of like blundered across a really nice spot here, actually, haven't we? Overlooking the Thames. It's and, amazing, uh, yeah. Like with the Houses of Parliament in the background. Yeah, a bit of background noise, but I'm sure we can deal with that. Yeah. So you were saying you've got a little bit of a, an affinity with this part of the of London. Yeah, I mean, well, with London, I mean, I'm a Londoner born and bred. I'm happily transposed to my excellent life in, in Cornwall, you know, um, a beautiful place to exist. But yeah, I grew, I grew up in London and... Uh, the Thames was really important. As I, I talked to you, you know, a, a while back about, you know, my sort of love affair with the sort of coastline and the tides, really starting on the banks of the Thames, looking at stuff that I've, you know, found at low tide here on the Thames. And so it's nice to be here talking to you about it when we've just been 
sort of campaigning for for ocean and planetary health in in uh, in Westminster. Yeah, so we've had quite a busy morning. So talk talk us through that. Let's explain what you've been what, you know what what you've been doing this morning. Yeah, we've been uh, you know we've you know we've been building a, a new movement really that we're calling Generation C, um, which is really to activate and empower people around um, around the ocean and ocean activism. Um, of course, a lot of it started with our work on plastic pollution, um, which is such a tangible and understandable thing for people. Um, and we're here today. We've just done a, an action. We've, we've had some of our campaigners from around the country um, come together. Um, we've brought our creature, um, the, 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 the model creature that we had in our recent film um, called The Creature, um, here in Westminster. And we've been getting MPs to sign a, a pledge for better protection of our oceans, not just from plastic pollution. That's one part of it. But we need them to take urgent action on the climate crisis um, to really um, massively reduce or actually eliminate carbon emissions by 2050 net zero um, our oceans are being massively impacted by climate change you know they absorb most of the heat from global heating the acidification is killing our reefs um, you know before our very eyes and then we need to make sure we're, we're we're preserving parts of our ocean but properly preserving them we've just had 41 new marine conservation zones um, um, uh, uh, put in place in this country which is great you know on paper but we need to make sure they're properly enforced and patrolled and monitored to let marine life flourish because without flourishing marine life we won't flourish ourselves yeah it seems like the the message of this creature campaign is that almost like taking this single-use plastic plastic pollution message to the next logical stage which is like actually let's look at the impact that it does have right the the, the very tangible impact it's having on the environment and um, the, the harm it's causing well, well absolutely and in, in many ways you know you know plastic is really just a symptom um, and it's a very visible symptom for the problems that we have in society and with uh, the health of our planet uh, we're seeing you know all of the growth curves you know uh, 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 almost vertical in terms of carbon emissions in terms of our consumption on our on our planetary resources in terms of um, the emissions of plastic pollution all of these things so they're all going in the wrong direction and, and plastic is the the gateway that has allowed people to understand that and engage with that a bit more but we need we need to call for more radical action now and we you know we like doing radical things and traditionally the environmental sector have been radical you know outside of the establishment so you know on the fringes of parliament or the fringes of davos or the fringes of the un but what we really need now is radical action within the establishment that's what we really need for the the recovery of our planet we know the seas can can regenerate they've got a huge capacity to regenerate if they're left to be able to do that and so we need to really start thinking about the uh, the protection and the enforcement of of that for our oceans and how um, presumably because we are at parliament and you've got this event at parliament this evening presumably how you hold the lawmakers and the people that can actually make this change to account and make sure that they actually do bring about you know real change that's going to make these changes that you're talking about right which is a key part of what you actually do as an organization isn't it like connect these dots almost connect the dots between the individual acts and the individual awareness and then but then bringing it all the way up through to actual tang tangible legislative change right absolutely absolutely and that's that's a really important journey for people to understand in in the campaign well, it's what um, you guys have been so successful at it seems and i guess the sorry to talk over you but i guess what i'm really interested in is like how strategic is that in terms of a, when you take an issue like plastic and what we're talking about start to finish like how, how do you 
how do you arrive at that strategy to, to sort of connect those dots? It's very strategic. So, um, but all strategies evolve also as they're implemented. Yeah. So, you know, you have to set out a strategy. And we, we've always had a strategy to connect people from the beachfront back up the chain exactly towards what, Parliament. Exactly and, what and that's I'm getting what we've at. done. We started, you know, of course, with our beach cleans. And beach cleans are a, a, a good thing. They're a good thing. You know, people get together, you know, they, they take direct action to protect their beach from plastic pollution and from the, the impacts of industry. <laughs> little little, little, little studio Trump. audience. There we are. <laughs> um, and, um, and that's good. You connect people. And more importantly with beach cleaners is we're monitoring and we're, we're assessing the impacts of, of industry. So we're looking at the brands we're finding on beaches, the types of pollution we're finding. And we're taking that evidence yeah. back up you the line. You just did the report, right, where you identified the number of products and the number of brands that you're... Yeah, and you're using that inf information to, to take up the chain, right? Absolutely. So you take that back up the train and it, and it helps you... Um, call for for the right legislation so let's let's rewind right back to the sort of history of SAS you know back in 1990 when when the plastic pollution issue then was sewage pollution you know sewage was being pumped out without any treatment um, it was being discharged you know a kilometer or so offshore uh, all too often it was washing back in and causing this pollution in our surfing areas our bathing areas all of those things and and at that time, the, the, the solution was never to tell people to go out and mop up the sewage. You know, that would have been ridiculous. Yeah, of you course. Know. Yeah. The solution was to activate because of that experience around the pollution and to call for change. And that change happened in, in actually in, in Europe, yeah. in Brussels, to bring in new legislation that forced industry to clean up its act. The, the, the rather sort of dry urban uh, wastewater treatment directive, yeah. you know, which really forced them to put the right controls on sewage pollution and to make sure that they were fully treating all of their effluent and we're doing the same now on plastic on our, on other issues so you know we've seen the evidence we're collecting at the beachfront people are now really sick of walking over tide lines of plastic pollution of seeing enigmatic sea creatures washing up on their beaches dead and killed because of our plastic consumption um, because of the way the industry is pumping plastic products into our environment without any thought for where they might end up um, and where they do end up is all too often in our ocean you know it's the final sump the final resting place for this this impact of industry and now industry would love it to be a, a littering issue yeah and litter is a whole construct that they they wanted to happen to keep the responsibility on the individual and we as an organization fully reject that the responsibility is on industry now yeah. if we look back to the campaign which was a keep america beautiful campaign it was constructed specifically, this was decades ago now, constructed specifically to frame litter as an individual responsibility, to keep it away from industry. Yeah. It was, it was an advertising agency on behalf of, uh, of industry that created the term litter bug. These are things that, that keep that, that pressure on the individual for yeah. action. It means that industry can carry on as normal whilst us individuals have to take action. And that's not right. And it, but if, it's important to say as well it feels like action as well doesn't it that's the thing that's why it works for these for these bodies or you know for these kind of initiatives because by putting the onus on the individual the individual feels like they're making a difference but actually they're not making any real tangible difference which is the presumably the loop you have to kind of break you know to, to make the change absolutely and we need to if it, we need to reframe the issue 
Um, so we are doing that with our, our beach cleans. Of course, it's always good to go out and protect the spot you love. I've done hundreds of beach cleans, yeah. if not thousands. Um, and they're good things to do. Unite the community, bring them together, care for the surf spot, the beach, the bit of coastline, the bit of countryside, the street that you love. You know, you can do that together. That's really good. It brings you know, local businesses together, local councils. It can bring politicians in, the people who can make a change. But the bigger win with them is not the removal of the plastic. And if we don't deal with the, the sources upstream, then it will always keep arriving on the beach. So the bigger win is to hold companies to account and hold politicians to account to make sure they're putting the legislation and the frameworks in place to stop plastic pollution at source. Let's design it out of the equation. Let's look at alternative service provision for the products that we love and, uh, and need in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, and let's make sure that we we change how business is doing business because we know business as usual is wrecking the planet there's no doubt there's no other there, there, there's ample evidence across any metric that shows that's absolutely the case yeah so which brings us back to this strategy you've got with this latest campaign because tonight you've got this event at parliament which yep. is about so this is the launch of a new cross-parliamentary group, right? Yeah, we've got a we've got a, an ocean conservation all-party parliamentary group. Yeah, um, it's the only uh, marine conservation all-party parliamentary group in Westminster. Yeah. So this morning we're campaigning outside of Westminster. We've got our placards. We're in wetsuits. We've got our creature from our creature film. You know, and we're really saying it as it is. The threat to our ocean is is critical now, and we really need to take radical action tonight. We're in Parliament as part of our all-party parliamentary group that unites voices of marine conservation NGOs, campaigning groups, uh, progressive businesses, athletes, uh, and brings MPs and ministers and regulators into the room alongside scientists to have a, a discussion about how we can create the conditions for, for change, how we can deliver better legislation that, that will be delivered fast to protect our oceans. Um, and that's really what we need to do. We know on the climate crisis, we've got a decade or so to really deliver radical action. You know, beyond that, we're going to be in real trouble. And the same applies to our oceans. The plastic pollution crisis is now, the climate crisis is now, the ocean crisis is now. And so that's why we're in Westminster. We're, we're really delighted to lead this group um, and to create a platform that, that brings people together. Because, of course, you know, the environmental sector needs to be united and present a united front to create the change we want to see. So how much power will this group have to actually affect this change? Well, we've seen, you know, really interesting examples so far of, of how it has been powerful. So some of the, the legislation that we've pushed sort of through already um, on the plastic bag charge, on deposit return systems to trap plastic in the economy, not on our beaches. Those are things that we use the APPG to drive forward. Okay. We've got new powers um, that hopefully will be coming online soon to hold water companies to account for the sewage pollution they're still putting in the ocean all too often. So this is... A, this is a powerful platform. Yeah. It's sort of pre-legislative, so it it works alongside the Environmental Audit Committee, yeah. specific environmental select committees, and of course, legislative processes. But it's where we can have a radical sort of incubator for environmental thinking around the ocean. One of the other things that you guys are calling for as part of the campaign is is a body that does have the independence and the the authority to kind of hold people properly to account right yeah so can you explain a little bit more about that 
Well, yeah, of course. You know, we, we've, we're going through this this great um, sort of shift, not just in in the UK, but um, in Europe and across the globe politically. And there's a lot of you know flux and, and changes. The establishment is really being challenged. And in this country, we've had you know, the Brexit vote in 2016. Um, you know, a really uh, a really sort of interesting and terrifying sort of time in terms of the instability around our politics. And you know, at the moment, all of the directions, whatever people voted for and believe means that we'll be leaving Europe in October and at the moment we're held to account in terms of our environmental laws by the European Commission and the European Courts of Justice so if we create too much air pollution if we put too much sewage in the sea if we flout European environmental legislation we are held to account and we are fined accordingly yeah and that keeps business in check it keeps the, the, the countries across Europe shoulder to shoulder in protecting the environment. But when we leave, that won't be the case. Yeah, sure. And we've got a new body that's being proposed um, from October, the environmental of, uh, the, the Office for Environmental Protection. And this has been part of the, the government preparations for Brexit, basically. This is like, OK, we're going to lose that European Commission body, whatever it is. And so we need to we need to fill that gap. And this is the solution that they've come up with. Absolutely, but we're worried that it's yeah, you're toothless, yeah. that it, it won't have the powers to really hold business and government to account. I mean, it's the whole argument with the, the whole leave, remain argument, isn't it? That Brexit's opening the door to um, deregulation yep. across every area. So this is another example of that, basically. Absolutely, and particularly, you know, when you know when there are huge economic threats that are well documented, deregulation then goes sort of follows on swiftly after that yeah. to try and stimulate the economy. And I think. We need to be really cautious of that. We need to make sure we've got a strong environmental watchdog um, that has the teeth. You know, it's ludicrous at the moment that climate and carbon emissions aren't part of its remit. You know, yeah. that's not good enough. Right, really. Know? So it's not even. No. So th- 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 these are these are questions that really need to be asked and challenges that need to be brought forward. We need to make sure that we don't see a backsliding on the amazing progress we've made on water quality, for example. And we need to make sure that we do take radical action on on uh, plastic pollution, that we really do implement the laws that we're yeah. hopefully going to get online soon, that we stop the flow of plastic into our oceans, that we stop the emissions of, of carbon dioxide. We need net zero emissions by 2050 at the very latest. Um, and we need to make sure that the ocean areas that we're protecting as marine conservation zones are fully enforced and monitored. Otherwise, they're just paper parks where people can extract whatever they want, whether it's fish or minerals or oil, whatever it may be. Yeah. And it means that they won't be worth their paper they're written on. We need to make sure that these are areas where sea life can flourish because when sea life flourishes, we know humans can flourish. I mean, greenwashing is obviously such a huge issue in this debate. Is this something that you find because even for politicians, this must be quite a sexy, easy win, really, you know, to show a bit of environmental credentials, to sort of back an issue like this. Um, but actually, it sounds like a real challenge that you've got as an organization is, is it's one thing to, to gain attention. It's one thing to get in front of these people. It's even one thing to get a law passed. Yep. But really, victory is when that law gets enforced, yep. you know. So is that is that something that you're basically having to navigate through this whole process absolutely and you know there's never an absolute environmental victory yeah even when you have a law enforced you need to make sure it continues to be enforced yeah and you need to make sure that the results are are monitored and you see that it's always fit for purpose because of course an environmental condition might change you might need to adapt a law you might need to extend a law so you know it's always evolving um you know the fight to protect the environment and um, it is a it is a huge 
a huge challenge. Um, it's kind of easy for a politician to turn up this morning, isn't it? Like get the picture taken, bang uh, it on Twitter, you know. And absolutely, but you've got to bear in mind that once they align with something, yeah. And let's look, we you know we'll we'll be on the verge of a general election, you know, in the not too distant future. It's you, inconceivable you, that it won't happen. You would think so. And therefore, when those politicians are on the campaign trail, they will be aligned with something that they're pledging to do. And then if they go against that, it undermines their own credibility. And so in an electoral process, that's not good for them. Yeah. Um, and so they are moments that we can hold them to account on. We can look back on it. We can remind them of what they've committed to do with us. And so it is a really important part of it. And we're, we're entering in, uh, into a sort of a big decade next year, the, the UN decade of ocean science. And so we're going to have a, a decade-long campaign to really push this agenda forward, to make sure that the science of ocean health is being really monitored and that we're seeing these campaign victories filter through into genuine results in our ocean to, to reduce massively the amount of plastic that's going in to the ocean yeah to make sure that we're you know eliminating carbon dioxide emissions hopefully within the, the not too distant future to make sure that we're really seeing marine life recover because at the moment we're in a in a critical state you know the ocean is a big part of our life support machine um, and as people you know as surfers who who use it you know some of the impacts we see directly but the ocean is fundamentally important to every single person on the planet and so it can't be underestimated how important it is for us to deliver really big radical change to protect it for the future. So in the context that we're talking about, this whole, you know, I've used the metaphor of connecting the dots from consumer to legislation to enforcing legislation. And obviously you've got personally a lot of experience and for Surface Against Sewage, a lot of campaign experience. Could you give me an insight into some of the ways that that can be achieved? Because I'm assuming that there are people listening to this that, that might perhaps be working on their own campaigns and that are faced with the same problems essentially like how you keep winning the argument in the face of this shifting um, backdrop if you like from from consumer to legislation to enforcement I mean what what have you learned along the way that, that are kind of useful tactics to keep focused on the message be sure of your target and what you're calling for and make sure it's backed up with good evidence and, and science um, hard work can't be underestimated it's really important to, to to keep on keeping on and really really use a lot of sort of drive and energy to promote your message wherever you can but fundamentally it's about people being connected um, you know we've done that from the beachfront you know outwards the bigger constituency you can build around you yeah. the more people will take notice sure and i'm not talking social media numbers you know anyone can buy themselves tens of thousands of people on a on a on a social media channel but true engagement true traction where people really are taking action with well, you. it's what it's what you guys are so successful at which is why i asked the question really because you the success of your organization seems to me that ability to do that to, to to connect this community with this often quite dry reality of what's required to constitute change yeah yeah you mustn't you know people mustn't be pulled too much into the detail of policy and legislation they must understand the top lines and those top lines must be framed in the reality of a yeah, process exactly. you must campaign at the right moment you can't be campaigning 
for something when there isn't the opportunity to create change. You know, we've got a great opportunity this summer with the environmental, uh, the environment bill, which is going through Parliament this summer, um, and that will, I in part, have the environmental, uh, the Office for Environmental Protection to, to 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 bring forward. And so this is a time to really tell politicians that that needs to be a strong process where we've got strong laws that are fully enforced to protect our ocean and wider environment. So timing's really important too, and seeing where you connect people. We've just done our, our Big Spring Beach Clean, and yep. Beach Cleans are great, and it's all good, and we, we, we empowered and mobilized almost 50,000 people during that, that, that activation. Now the biggest Beach Clean activation in the UK, one single weekend, 50,000 people. But the really important part of it was that we did the biggest brand audit in UK history, in yeah. global history, to survey the brands we were finding at the beaches. And sure enough, Coca-Cola, Pepsi-Cola, McDonald's, Cadbury's are all top of the list in terms of the amount of pollution they're creating and that we're finding on our beaches. But the reason why that bit of evidence was so important was that we took it forward to a rather boring government consultation yeah. on extended producer responsibility, which is looking exactly how much industry should pay to stop their plastic ending up in our in our waterways and in our oceans and yeah. so a really powerful bit of timing a powerful bit of timing connecting individuals and communities with a really tangible understandable act that can influence a rather dry bit of legislation perfect example actually isn't it because you like you say you're mobilizing that effort to then push it in the right way is that something that you think think can be missing sometimes from from the way that people approach these issues I think I think uh, there are some weaknesses. You know, I, you know, I see a lot of campaigns that are that are purely focused on individual actions yeah. that can feel diluted and weak. Um, you know, very glitzy, um, beautifully produced things that really are just asking individuals to change. Comes back to this, the, the example you used earlier with the the littering and the you know yeah. it's pushing it back down to the consumer isn't it and for me you know that can be a worrying place because i think individual change is an important part of creating a more sustainable planet but it's really about connecting those changes and then forcing the systems around us to change so we're all effectively trapped we're trapped in the economy that is given to us so the yeah. economy is is geared in the wrong way at the moment to protect the planet because it's always about growth infinite growth infinite growth more growth we need more growth that's the measure of success and happiness yeah we're all all already trapped in that wherever we work whatever we do that is something that impacts our day-to-day -day decisions already we're also trapped in a plastic economy and a carbon economy, economies that are very hard to break out of. I mean, I would challenge anyone to say that they could live a day without having a, 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 a quite a big carbon footprint. People yeah. are traveling however they're traveling um, in developed countries, in their cars, a lot of people on planes, a lot of people in, in, in carbon-based transport. Most people's heating is carbon-based, so it's very hard to break out of that. And our day-to-day -day products and services are often delivered in plastics. So what we need is a, a systems change and a materials change around us to allow us to live more sustainably. And that's not individual responsibility. That's the responsibility of government and business to re-engineer how we do things and provide people with an alternative way to live that's very accessible. Because at the moment it's not accessible, whether it's plastic-free, whether it's you know low carbon, you know whatever it is, they're quite hard to ac access. Yeah. Sure, there's a... There's a, there's a, dare I say, a, a, a quite an affluent brigade of environmentalists who can access it sure. because they have the money and often the time to do it. But this needs to be an equitable environmental movement that allows everyone to be able to take environmental action and make that the norm and make it not even classed as an environmental action. It's just how you live your life. So one thing I'm really that's really coming across is is the importance of pragmatism, basically the importance of 
you know, understanding the environment in which you're trying to operate. And there's a great, very obvious metaphor I'm going to use from today, which is the fact that when I met you this morning, you were wearing a wetsuit because you were doing the photo call and now you're wearing a suit because you're getting ready for the the thing at Parliament tonight. So it's, a, you know, that's the, the two sides of your world that you have to embrace, right? Yep. And is that, is this something that you that you think is the only way that it can be approached? Like basically have the balance between the activism and the pragmatism? I don't think it's the only way things can be approached, but I think you need to know how to talk in different ways to different audiences and engage with different people. Because everyone, uh, whether you're a, you know, everyone, whether you're a business, an individual, a community, everyone has a different set of values, a different set of pressures, and you need to know how to discuss and compromise with people in the right places. Yeah. You need to know where radical action is appropriate and where putting a suit and tie on is appropriate. They're both forms of campaigning. They're both forms you of can, communication as well. Yeah, ultimately. you can blend into you know you can blend into a suit and tie and sit yourself amongst politicians and yep. still have a radical message to take to them. So it's just a different vehicle. Um, but you do need to know how to compromise and how to tone things in the right way because all radical action can also just marginalise yourselves. You can go too far and make it easy for the establishment that is push back at you because. They can just put you out on the fringes and keep you out on the fringes and not necessarily listen or change because you are maybe becoming a stereotypical sort of campaign group and voice and, and texture to them. So it's important to keep them on their toes by, by morphing and changing and adapting. Yeah. And that sort of fluidity is important. Never lose your values. Never lose your moral compass. Never lose the change you want to create in your mind. But you can adapt how you're trying to engage with people. So avoid the race to the bottom, you might say. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, avoid the race to the bottom. And, you know, you don't want to be, you know, you know, diametrically opposed to people in a slanging match. Yeah. Because, you know, that's, that, that doesn't necessarily take you anywhere. There, there are times that that might be useful. Sure. And there are times when shouting and anger uh, can be a good energy. But they can't be a constant setting in your campaigning. Yeah, you need to understand when they're when it's the uh, the pertinent time to utilise it. Maybe. Yeah. So, how one of the things you mentioned earlier is work and hard work and the importance of it. One of the things that I know about you is how hard you you work. You know, like even today, you're like, okay, we're at Parliament, then we're doing this, then you've got a presentation in the city, then you were like, oh, and then I need, I need an hour to do my speech for tonight. You know, like it's it's quite a it's quite a regime you've got so how do you personally cope with that because that must come with a, a price i imagine sometimes it, it comes with a it does come with a price um a price i'm sort of willing to pay i mean i feel really fortunate to to work around something i feel so passionately about which is which is so ingrained in my soul the uh and particularly the sort of nexus of environment sort of water um, sport and people, you know, they're all things that have been so important in my life since I was a little boy. Um, and so I, I, I don't mind the hard work. It can take its toll. Um, but I feel particularly, ironically, I feel particularly motivated and energized at the times that I'm, I'm busiest. Really? Um, and so it's an energy that I can, I can sort of drive forward. I need to make sure that I keep my sort of water time up to offset that. So yeah. you need to really step away, particularly from the the, the, the incessant and insidious demands of sort of social media um, and and uh, all of that side of things because because you always need to be on tap and yeah. you also need to decide when to switch off and when you you mustn't be looking at things and where you're you, you mustn't be engaging because otherwise there's always someone that needs you um, so that's important but 
you know, I, I keep it up. I, 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 you know, I mean, sitting here with you, Matt, you know, I've known you for a, a long while now and uh, it's a pleasure to do this interview with you because because I, you know, I consider you an ally, a friend, a, a colleague in this thing. And, you know, this doesn't, even though this, you know, could be classified as work, it doesn't feel like work to me. It didn't feel like work to me to be outside Parliament with our creature, with people that I respect, I love, I admire, you know, campaigning for the oceans. It doesn't feel too much like work to me to be going to Parliament tonight to yeah. give a talk in Parliament alongside politicians and scientists to say, I want to protect the area that I love. I mean, it is work, but it's a, a sort of a, a blend in my life. Yeah. So, so it is a, a, an honour to do it. Sometimes I crash badly. Yeah. And then I need to hide for a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. Have you learned this about yourself? Because, you, you know, you just... Something that was quite telling was you said, like, well, I've, you know, I operate... I, I, I almost thrive when I'm busier, you yeah. know? Like, is that something you've had to understand? Yeah, I... I Absolutely. I mean, I definitely thrive when I'm busier. Um, I thrive when there's sort of pressures and decision making to, to take place quickly, where there's where there's people that I need to empower, where there's people I need to sort of protect and help and encourage and build with. And that's part of our model as, you know, as, as an organization. We're very open. We're there about, you know, creating ocean activists, you know, wherever that may be, you know, on the coastline in cities. And I really like that people element about it. And I think, you know, SAS has always been about people and planet. Yeah. And so I love that interface. Um, and, you know, I've learned a lot about myself. Um, and, you know, SAS has been an incredible ride, you know, from... And, you know, I talked to you about it um, when we when we last spoke, you know, from, you know, when I, I took over. And it's an amazing organization that I'd, I'd loved for years, but had fallen on really hard times and was yeah. about to close. And that was a great sadness to see that that possibility. And I I took over at a time that it was really down at heel. It didn't really know where it wanted to go. And we've sort of built it up to this sort of place now where we we really are sort of hitting, you know, a, a, a strong cadence with with the sort of the, the people who can create change through legislation with us around the world you know it's been incredible to to take that journey over the last decade and end up with sort of royalty and and world leaders being really interested in how we do things yeah um and i think the scale we're at is really good i like to sort of sort of describe SS as a positive pyramid scheme. You know, we've got a small executive in the far-flung wild west of Cornwall. Yeah. We empower leaders around the country and communities and, and cities. <laughs> and then we, we mobilize and empower and, 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 you know, inspire hundreds of thousands of volunteers. And because of that model, we have people knocking on our door saying, how, how do you do that? Yeah. And for me, I, I believe it's about authenticity. I believe it's about true connectivity with what we're doing and truly being open about working with people to create this change. Because we're in a time that authenticity is hard to come by, where big organizations and big charities and businesses are being challenged in their model. People don't like and trust them necessarily. And I think small is really good. The person on the beach in Cornwall taking uh, you know action with us at a beach clean can see us and then see their voice very clearly and loudly being represented in Parliament and that's an important piece of connectivity for our model yeah because when people lose that sense of, of of real power with their action I think they can sometimes lose hope and they can lose their engagement with a mission well, which is why I wanted to basically in this conversation try and understand the way that you connect it all yeah um, and it brings me nicely to the final question, actually, which is 
just a real a real personal one not to re- you know go over old ground that we've yep. covered before about how you got into this but you know if there's if there's somebody listening to this an individual who is inspired to take action isn't or has an issue that they're passionate about that they want to take further or contribute more towards what would your advice be to that person my advice would would be follow your heart and build build every bit of scaffold that you can around that with education with people you meet with the networks you create with the opportunities you seek to make that your thing um i've had a i've had a, a an amazing journey in my career i've worked with some sort of cool charities in in sort of london um you know but but my the, the sort of strange thing is despite all of the places i've worked where i've ended up is is truly my passion you know my passion as a boy was scavenging for seashells and bits of you know wild nature wherever i went you know whether it's on the seaside at the seaside or whether it was you know in the countryside wherever we went on holiday that was my thing you know i later sort of found you know sport you know particularly surfing um and you know my my life took you know it's sort of twists and turns as everyone's does but i've landed exactly in the space that I always was sort of destined to be in. And so make your, make your sort of destiny, your calling, the reality. You can have that in your power. So I, you know, go out and seek the people you want to meet. Go out and find the education you want. You know, try and connect, you know, in this very open world with, you know, with the sort of organizations and the opportunities that are out there. And really, you know, follow your heart and your passion because it will, if you do it right, it will take you to the right places. Amazing. Thank you, Hugo. Thank you. Let's go and get your speech written. So there you go. That was my episode of Type 2 with Hugo of Surfers Against Sewage. And I hope you enjoyed it. Big thanks to Hugo for finding a slot during what was an insanely hectic day and for delivering the goods so effortlessly. I really enjoyed my day campaigning with Surfers Against Sewage and look forward to seeing Hugo again soon. If you want to find out more about the work that Surfers Against Sewage do, head on over to their website, sas.org.uk, to find out more. Sweet, that's it for this episode. As you probably know by now, I'll be releasing new episodes of Type 2 every month or so, and they will appear in my usual Looking Sideways channel, which you can subscribe to via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your usual podcast supplier. And uh, if if it's your first time checking out what I do, make sure you get into the back catalogues, including my old episode with Hugo, if you want to find out more about him. I reckon you'll enjoy that one. All right, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Nice one. (laughs) 